Gotta get this money, man. Oh, okay. five seconds? What? No, 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 I got, I got okay. a question. Um, it hit me. What is the worst thing you've ever done to another human being? Oh, the worst thing I've ever done to another human being. Brings her here. Uber brings her there. Sometimes it's a lift. She's got a really great hair. Her name is Latoya, the sheriff of Truth Win, and she is here in the What's house up? in the Izzy, as am I. On time. Your host, Pam Benjamin. You guys are listening to the AltaCast here on Mutiny Radio. It is high noon. I am not high enough yet. Are you? Uh, I'm about to, about to be high. About woohoo! Got those weird chargers in the house in the hizzy. Not the football team like the things that power those <laughs> delicious vape pens. You know what I'm talking about? Deliciousness. Oh yeah, because we love drugs. Love drugs. Uh, are, I mean, what do we? By the are way, you, speaking of drugs, yeah, the yeah, yeah. hot or the um, marijuana rice krispie treats. Uh huh. I ate half of one on Monday at a Halloween party, and I felt really, really good to the point where I didn't really want to drink anymore. Wow. Which was great. Yeah. And then like some of my friends who came to uh, the show on Friday, they liked them a lot too. Great. They liked the treats, and some of them were scared of them. So I'm like, don't be scared. No fear. Don't be afraid. Just They're, eat a little like, piece. It's like 30 milligrams. It's no big deal. Yeah, it's it's really that's not that much. It lured me off drinking. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't. I love them. I think they're, uh, I think they're great. And I I love to give them away. It was uh, it's treat trick or treat. We all had treats here on Friday night. And that podcast should be coming out soon. Sadly, our stream was down uh, for like a week. I know. So uh, it's going to be uploaded soon to Pantastics. It actually was uploaded, but it's one of those speedy three minute versions that make no sense. So uh, it's just a thing that happens with some of our podcasts when the stream goes down. Anyways. Technology. It's going to be a great podcast once it comes out. It was a four-hour show. I had a really great time. I think everybody else did. Sadly, no one took a picture of me. Not even George at the door usually. Yeah, so there's no pictures of me in the clown outfit. Maybe it's best that there aren't. Maybe it's best to forget that. No, no, not at all. I, I'm surprised. Yeah, I, really I know. I was wearing a tutu, and nobody thought it was too too fun to take a picture. <laughs> <laughs> I also uh-huh. dressed up on Sunday uh, at. I was at a show in Katati, and I had a first. I, I, uh, I walked an audience member, which I've never done before, but then I walked her in tears. She was so brutally offended. By my abortion jokes and my touching baby penises for money. I guess she was molested as a child or something. So oh, people shit. told me later, they were like, you really triggered her because she was molested as a child and she was really drunk. And oh, I was shit. like, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't know that was happening, but I didn't think I was that fucking edgy. Wow. So edgy. she had an open therapy session at the show. Yeah, she cried <laughs> and she kept trying to say to her person next to her, like, this is the most offensive thing I've ever heard. Like... Okay, fine. Touching baby dicks for money is 
kind of an offensive thing to say, but it is, I'm a great nanny. It's true. You have to wipe children's butts and they're, and if you're not going to circumcise your kids because you have a heart and you don't, you know, you don't believe in male circumcision, his choice, his decision, everybody, you know, seriously, I don't understand. I just, I had the whole joke. So I was doing that section of jokes and she had to leave. Wow. But I mean, sometimes you got to realize what you're getting yourself into when you go to a lot of comedy shows. I mean, seriously, you're not going to be talking about farts and poop jokes for like, you know, the whole time. I was dressed as a clown. <laughs> that probably triggered it too. It, it, yeah, it's like, I'm just, obviously I'm joking, right? Obviously it's a comedy show. And I couldn't believe, I'm like, abortion jokes are really hurting your feelings this much? Really? Seriously? No, I mean, yeah, I mean, some people just should not go yeah, to comedy shows. Comedy show. There was, um, I think it was last week in Florida, uh, Amy Schumer performed or something, and um, people left because, you know, she had a bunch of Trump jokes and what have you, and she was talking about abortion, and it's just like, people, know who you're going to go see before you spend money and sit there. I mean, you can't get mad at the comedian because, oh, well, I felt offended. And you know, and I'm like, well, what do you, what do you, com- comedians don't offend people. They're actually the truth tellers. Guns offend people. No, I'm yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it's, if it's written if they in find, good taste. If they find something offensive, that's on them. That's not on the comedian. Yeah. It's on them. All right. And, and, as, and as long as it's in good taste and it's written correctly. Well, I don't think that my jokes are necessarily in good taste. I mean. No, they're written well. well There's a point to it. Right, whereas right. people will just say something that's just derogatory and not make a point to it. Right, right. That's what I mean, good yeah, taste. Exactly. Well-written jokes. Well, anyways, it was an exciting weekend because I, I walked my first audience member. <laughs> so it was a big... Big day for me. How was your Halloween? Um, It was fun. I worked on Saturday, but I went to a boat party, uh, which was fun. I dressed up and did drugs. boat party? Yeah, it was out in the Pier 3. So, yeah, it was a boat, boat cruise on a yacht. You know, pay money it, on it, on a yacht yeah, on with a not yacht. flippy floppies, um, the flippy floppies, yeah. all that stuff, and then went to. But a you had party. And, and you had a costume on. Yes, I did. That's crazy. So you're on the water with a costume. When people playing house music in different three levels of the the ship, so that was pretty dope. So I had a decent Halloween. You know, went to a Halloween party. You know, made Sweet. it out alive, and now we're in November. Already. It's November. Oh my God. Yeah, it's true. Uh, November is here. It is upon us. The year is over. Pretty much. The thing that makes me nervous is that I just, I'm starting today um, the new, all the preparations for the uh, next Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival because I only have four months. That's four months to get it together. That was like a year ago that we you started uh, preparing for that too, around well, this time. Right, right. Well, I, and I'd already I'd been preparing. I actually started a a month before. I I was working in October last year, but because I'm only going to do it with local comedians, it's a lot less work. Ah, uh, so that way you don't have to uh, watch everybody's. Uh, yeah, you don't have to watch everybody's video because I've I know most of them. I mean ostensibly there's going to be new people obviously because it's going to be bay area only but not just the the time that it takes to watch them but also like i mean i did it last year it's pretty much just follow the template right right um but i I do have to find sponsors and uh i'm hoping 
One of my friends has a, a new job with Credit Karma, and they're a really cool company. Oh, cool. And uh, I told her, I said, hey, you know, I, give me your email, and I'll send you a letter if you can pass it on, because I would be willing to have a show where the theme would be, one of the hour themes would be, Bad credit, like <laughs> comedians making bad choices, stories about bad choices with money brought to you by creditkarma.com. That's awesome. Right? And then I say, hey, you could be a big sponsor because really all I need them for is like the Alta, Ca- Alta money like that they did last year, like 1500 or 2000 bucks so we can get T-shirts and I can make all the printed materials because this year I want to do posters to put around everywhere. Posters, not just flyers, flyers, posters, and then also I'm gonna make these big posters because I'm illegally gonna put them in the Muni. So to to advertise on Muni, they have to be a certain size and you're supposed to go through Clear Channel. But Clear Channel's the only ones that maintains them and deals with all that stuff. So if I make one and I stick it in an empty, I'm not gonna take any out. But if some of them are gone and there's there's an empty empty. space, there's always empty ones. I'm just gonna slide it on in there. It's gonna be there for at least a couple weeks. Yeah. So if I get those out in like January and start putting them on the uh, tops of the buses uh-huh. where there's room, no one's gonna take it down. It's gonna be up there for the two months. Right. Buy your with the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival logo and buy your tickets at Universe.com and all of my tickets will be up there. Dope. Some cool, you know. Gorilla advertising. Real adver- gorilla advertising. Real advertising, but gorilla advertising. No one's going to notice. I mean, and I can say it on this podcast all night long because, I mean, maybe we'll blow up someday. I think so. I'm optimistic. Optimi- optimism. Optimism. Are it's you, fading are you op- as I get older. Are you optimistic about next week? Do you think uh, that old tiny hands, orange face, uh, or is, it, is he going to win? Are we going to be okay? I, God, stupid emails, FBI. Oh, my God. Like, this... I was watching The Daily Show, and Trevor Noah made a great point that if you've noticed, every Friday, there's always been some kind of big scandal that has popped out of this election. Like, the grabbing pussy thing came out on a Friday. The emails thing came out on a Friday. Uh, Tell me about the emails. uh, So, FBI Director Comey... Let's take a read from the Huffington Post, shall we? Yeah, so, I, I have, I, I so I have no idea what you're talking Is it a Hillary thing? With yes, the it is a oh, Hillary damn. thing. So um, James Coney, who is the FBI director, um, said that next Tuesday, um, excuse me, he was stating that uh, he created a whole mess about Hillary's emails. Um, he told the Congress and the Bureau that he came across a batch of emails that may had uh, that may or may not give the reason to revisit the investigation into the Clinton emails. So it's just like I found some stuff. It might be important to the emails. It might not. Very vague. Right. And then the how they found the emails this is the really kicker so um one of hillary's top aides her right way her right hand woman um her husband who is anthony weiner who was the guy he was running for congress and running for mayor for new york but um was the guy that was um sexting his dick pics oh fun yeah so he was married to uh hillary's top advisor they're about to get a divorce then the FBI takes his computer away. <gasps> Long behold, they found maybe some emails, maybe not. Whoa. So the plot is still around a dick. That's so funny. <laughs> it's, it's, 
Um, and so, <laughs> so now, you know, this, this, this whole email thing was supposed to be closed anyway. And now James Comey, I mean, there, there's nothing he said that he, they found, but this is just an October surprise. The thing that they usually find and dig up some kind of scandal, you know, to hurt that person running in the election. So now the Trump and the Clinton campaign are almost neck and neck. No, compared, no. Compared to how they were about a week and a half ago. No, after the whole, no. Because but, everyone goes, oh, she lied, she lied, she lied, she lied. Yeah, the, yeah. They all lie. Thank they you. all lie. I don't understand. And I also, I hate it when they're like, oh, she's, she's a heartless bitch. And it's like, ugh, do you have to use that word? Like, I do not. I mean, people, I, I'm sorry. People who vote for Trump, you're just playing out racist and sexist. That's just it. I don't like you. Y'all, so y'all, ra- y'all racist and sexist and homophobic. And you, you, yeah. I don't like y'all. I don't like if you, if, if you feel that way about me, shall be it. If I, I don't want, I mean, I'm trying to plan the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2017. I, I can't do that if I'm living in Mexico. <laughs> or Costa Rica. Right. <laughs> yeah, or Costa Rica. I mean, it's, I'm hoping that this is just something that, you know, a little bit of fear that's being stirred up. Because I really can't see ourselves voting in this person this man i'm i just can't see us there's too many intelligent people and there's too many women there's too many people of color there's too many you know lbgtq people out did, here did you see the thing though about the votes um that i saw a lady on facebook and she was an african-american lady and she said um the vote switched she voted for hillary and then it switched to Trump, and then she went to the guy and reported it, and it was a broken. He said, "Oh, well, we'll take, we'll check that machine out." But she was like, "Check your vote before you leave, because they're cheating." Yeah. Oh yeah. The machines are flipping the mach- it. The ma- machines, and then like people who are. Oh yeah. Sorry about that. And people that you know are Trump supporters. Trump has urged them to go to the polling places and kind of intimidate voters as well for voting for him and there was a woman recently that was uh, arrested uh i believe in ohio or what have you uh for early voting twice who was a trump supporter so you know the the whole election is rigged all this stuff he's having people right he's rigging the election yeah exactly of course he of course course it was of course he's gonna of course he was gonna have people to do it of course he's he's a terrible human being uh hey Election 2016 marijuana law reform takes center stage. This just came out today from Drug Policy Alliance, uh, changing the way we think about all kinds of things. Election 2016 marijuana law reform takes center stage. California, Arizona, Nevada, Maine, and Massachusetts to vote on legalizing marijuana, while Florida, Arkansas, North Dakota, and Montana vote on medical marijuana. Election shaping up as watershed moment for movement to end federal prohibition. This election day is shaping up to be a watershed moment for the efforts to end marijuana prohibition with five states voting on marijuana legalization and four more on medical marijuana. The results are expected to have major ramifications for marijuana law reform in states across the U.S. at the federal level and even internationally. A recent nationwide Gallup poll found that a record 60% of respondents support legalizing marijuana. The other 40% were not. I'm kidding. The other 40% just weren't even asked. Everybody supports marijuana. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It says uh, record 
60% of respondents supporting legalized marijuana, but polls on this year's state-based ballot initiatives show the results will be tighter. In 2012, Colorado and Washington became the first two U.S. states and the first two jurisdictions in the world to approve ending marijuana prohibition and legally regulating or legally regulating marijuana production, distribution, and sales. In the 2014 election, Alaska and Oregon followed suit, while Washington, D.C. passed a more limited measure that legalized possession and home cultivation of marijuana, but did not address its taxation and sale due to a federal law passed by Congress in 2014 that bars D.C. from pursuing taxation and regulation. In addition, 25 states and D.C. have passed laws allowing access to medical marijuana. California's looking good. So is medical marijuana in Florida, and I'm confident will prevail in other states as well, said Ethan Nadelman, executive director of the Drug Policy Alliance. We're fast approaching the day when Americans will look back on the marijuana wars of recent decades the same way we now look back on alcohol prohibition as a costly, foolish, and deadly mistake. The most significant ballot initiative is California's Proposition 64, which along with legalizing uh, the adult use of marijuana and enacting across-the-board sentencing reform for marijuana offenses, establishes a comprehensive, strictly controlled system to tax and regulate businesses to produce and distribute marijuana in a legal market. Experts are calling Proposition 64 the gold standard for marijuana policy. So the bummer... Uh, with, I mean, it is a really, 64, you should read all the fine print, all the fine print on 64, because, uh, it's, it's going, they're going to tax every ounce of flowers, $9 and 25 cents and every ounce of shake, $2 and 25 cents. So that's going to come, that's going to go directly to the growers, which is, which would have to, um, you know, pass that cost on to the distributors that will then pass that cost on to the people. Or will it all change because it's so legalized? I mean, will the price go way up for it to be legal? Because that's only going to help the black market. Like if it's $75 for an eighth at, you know, Purple Star or something, no one's going to pay 75 an eighth. No. Even if you could just walk in, anybody can walk in and get it. No one's going to pay that much. No. That's, it's going to go bad. back to like... Hey, my buddy's got weed. Well, you know, exactly. Well, I guess with, in that case, at least you'll have option A and option B, you know, like, well, your shit's too high, but my boy's dro that lives next door to me, his shit is dope and it's less expensive. It's, so It's dope. But I it's, mean, well, and you, we can still grow it ourselves. So that's true. Right. Um, and the decriminalization of it is to me the is most, amazing. The most important part. Absolutely. Uh, importantly, Proposition 64 not only protects youth from accessing marijuana, products it protects them from accessing the criminal justice system said lynn lyman california state director for the drug policy alliance if proposition 64 prevails young people can no longer be arrested for marijuana offenses which data consistently shows us is the gateway to the criminal justice system and at age 18 their records will automatically be automatically sealed and with hundreds of thousands of residents eligible to have their records cleared californians who care about justice have a lot riding on prop 64's victory prop 64 focuses on undoing the most egregious harms of marijuana 
prohibition, which have disproportionately impacted communities of color, restoring and protecting public lands and waterways that have been damaged by lack of statewide regulation under current law, and protecting youth to prevent the easy access to marijuana they have today in our unregulated, uncontrolled system. By shifting away from counterproductive marijuana arrests and focusing instead on public health, states that have legalized marijuana are diminishing many of the worst harms of the war on drugs while managing to raise substantial new revenue for their state. A new report recently released by the Drug Policy Alliance brought good news for the states considering legalization and the broader marijuana legalization movement. Since the adult possession of marijuana became legal, Colorado, Washington, Alaska, and Oregon have benefited from a dramatic decrease in marijuana arrests and convictions, as well as increased tax revenues. During the same period, these states did not experience increases in youth marijuana use or traffic fatalities. Because weed people drive slow. <laughs> uh, the, that's my own little addition on the end there. The election, I mean, really, if, if sure. I had to choose between a person who was high off their gourd or who drunk? Um, who was drunk. no dr- Stoned. Yes, absolutely. Kidding me? I, I used to love driving stoned. <laughs> it's, I mean, when you drive drunk, it's, you can't. The one-eyed thing, you think you're looking, you know, like you're totally slowed all of worst your worst mistake we ever made yeah yeah don't don't do it don't drink and drive yeah you could kill someone you can yeah absolutely or yourself yeah. it's scary stuff uh the election will have international ramifications as momentum grows to end marijuana prop prohibition in Europe and the Americas. Over the past two years, Jamaica has enacted wide-ranging medical marijuana decriminalization. Jaw. Colombia and Puerto Rico issued executive orders legalizing medical marijuana, and medical marijuana initiatives have been debated in Argentina, Brazil, Mexico, and Italy. In 2013, Uruguay became the first country in the world to legalize marijuana on a national level, and Canada's governing Liberal Party has promised to do the same. Legalization. Arizona. Arizona's Proposition 205 allows adults 21 and older to possess up to an ounce of marijuana and grow up to six plants in their home. It establishes a new agency, the Department of Marijuana Licenses and Control, to oversee the licensing of marijuana retail stores, stores, as well as cultivation, manufacturing, and testing facilities. The initiative enacts a 15% excise tax on marijuana sales, which will be allocated to school construction, full-day kindergarten programs, Uh, public drug education and toward the marijuana regulatory structure. Hey, good point. Why are there no full day? Why is kindergarten only half a day? Uh, Because I think a lot of the the money in the budget for like public schools is probably uh, went to shit. And so now kindergarten, there used to be an option between having half day and full day. When I was little, it was kindergarten was only half day. I had half day. I had half day as well. But I remember... uh, the Catholic school, the other Catholic school I went to, they had full day kindergarten. So, I mean, I guess it depends. I, I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm thinking that they I'm used bullshit. to do maybe half day kindergarten because like preschool, it's like kids, they're thinking that they can't handle that much school I, or something. I, like it's too long for them to be. But then you enter first grade. What's the fucking difference? Right. It's, it's absolutely. Yeah. Well, so all day kindergarten programs. I think that's interesting and cool. California. California's Prop 64 allows adults 21 and older to possess up to an ounce of marijuana and grow up to six plants at home. The initiative also legalizes the industrial cultivation of hemp. Ooh. The Bureau of Medical Marijuana Regulation will be renamed the Bureau of Marijuana Control and will oversee 19 different licenses for businesses and cultivation. 
the initiative does not allow large-scale cultivation for the first five years, so small farmers have an advantage. A 15% excise tax on marijuana sales and cultivation tax will be used to pay for the regulatory structure. Additional revenue will go toward youth substance and abuse prevention, medical marijuana research, environmental protection and remediation, and local governments. The initiative also allocates substantial resources toward economic development and job placement for neighborhoods in most in need, and creates a system for sentences to be retroactively reduced and past marijuana convictions to be expunged. Very important. Maine. Maine's question one allows adults 21 and older to possess up to two and a half ounces of marijuana and grow up to six flowering plants and 12 non-flowering plants. The initiative instructs the Department of Agriculture, Conservation, and Forestry to regulate and control the cultivation, manufacture, distribution, and sale of marijuana. It also provides for the license of retail social clubs where marijuana may be sold for consumption on the premises to adults 21 and older. The initiative enacts a 10% excise tax on marijuana sales that will be deposited into Maine's general fund. Hey, Massachusetts. Massachusetts question four allows adults 21 and older to possess up to an ounce of marijuana and grow up to six plants in their home. The initiative establishes a cannabis control commission to oversee the licensing of marijuana retail stores, as well as cultivation, manufacturing, and testing facilities. It enacts a 3.75% excise tax on marijuana sales. Cheap. Nice. Used to pay for the regulatory structure. Additional revenue will be deposited into Massachusetts General Fund. Wow, they are not, they're, awesome. they're only going to tax it 3.75%. We're all like 15, 15%. Oh, because we're California. We have to be priced inexpensive. Right. Nevada is the same way. Nevada's question two allows adults 21 and older to possess up to an ounce of marijuana. And those who do not live within 25 miles of a retail marijuana store may grow up to six plants in their home. The initiative instructs the Nevada Department of Taxation to oversee the licensing of marijuana retail stores, as well as cultivation, manufacturing, and testing facilities. It establishes a 15% excise tax on marijuana sales used to fund schools and the marijuana regulatory structure. Uh, I won't go through the details of the Nevada, of the medical, which is for Arkansas, Florida, Montana, and North Dakota. I'm just proud that you have two southern states yeah in that list especially arkansas absolutely very conservative so that that's that right there is a good sign yeah change, change. Ar- yeah arkansas florida florida man yeah. seeks weed just kidding <laughs> uh, i mean especially i mean you got arkansas next to arkansas is louisiana which is oh, one of the toughest right right uh, states on marijuana so and north dakota I mean, I'm sure everybody's growing weed. No, where is North Dakota? North, <laughs> near Canada. It's where the pipeline. Oh. Hey, let's talk about that for a second. What the heck happened? I, I was on Facebook, and I didn't even understand what was going on. Oh. So like, when everyone, everyone was checking was, in. Everyone, and I'm like, what am I supposed to be doing? What's going on? Everyone was checking in. This was on Monday, I believe, um, because I believe some of the authorities, um, basically, we're talking about the uh, North Dakota pipeline. For those who don't know, um, the indigenous people tribe—that's their sacred ground. Uh, basically, they wanted to—they want to take uh, build a pipeline under the Mississippi, or excuse me, uh, the Missouri River um, through their 
their uh, through their land through their land through their land so basically we basically we have history repeating itself of the white man trying to take the indigenous man's land um, it's so funny that they call it Indian giving <laughs> when it's the white man <laughs> the that opposite does it. of everything right. um, and so basically a lot of people were checking in because the authorities were using Facebook uh, to help get protesters and find them and uh, let's see let's see basically they were just trying to find the protesters and everyone if you checked in it kind of would confuse the authorities oh. a little bit yeah okay well, so, I did not know about it. So, so this I is what CNN help. says. Why are Facebook friends checking in at Standing Rock? So protesters are using a new weapon in their push to block the Dakota Access Pipeline. On Monday, hundreds of thousands of people had checked in Standing Rock Indian Reservation on social on the social network. But many weren't anywhere near the location where demonstrators have been picketing for the controversial pipeline bill. A post circulating on Facebook gave one possible explanation for the surge in activity, claiming that the mass check-ins were organized to prevent local law enforcement from tracking protesters on social media. Oh. So that's what it was. So that's why everyone was checking in right. from the authorities, basically. Look, screw the authorities. Which is smart. See, this is the beauty of social media. This is the part of social media that I appreciate the most. You know, your protest. You don't have to be there to protest, though. You are there, and you're watching this, and you're trying to fuck up the authorities. Yeah. And scramble to, you know, scramble them up. Like everybody's checking in. Millions of people are checking in. So I mean, but yeah, it's this is really a sad situation, and I wish it was getting more airtime. And more yeah, time. I didn't even know about it. I hadn't even heard about it. I just heard about the people checking in. I didn't know that there was a pipeline. And then a lot of the authorities, of course, you know, have been spray paint or excuse me, uh, 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 spray painting. <laughs> uh, they've been macing people. They have oh. been tasering. They've been fighting with the protesters. Uh, a famous journalist uh, was recently uh, arrest, arrested and might be uh, held on charges uh, at the protest See, site. This is a crazy thing, though. Unless you watch news 24-7 and you're constantly having it piped into you, who hears about these stories? These Where are, is these the are news? The import, this is the important These are the important stories. Like, I was talking with someone about Kratom the other day, and they are like, never heard of it. And I was like, it's the first time since 1974 that the DEA's inception that has overturned anything or given any public comment on anything. That's amazing. And it wasn't in any, it was only no. on the Drug Policy Alliance. So unless you like know where to seek your news that's specific to what you want, I would have never heard about the North Dakota thing unless I, so I was like, I'm, my, they're here in San Francisco. What are they doing? In oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's oh. funny. Like even by listening to us and like every Wednesday we get our uh, drug updates and what have you every day I learn something, you know, about certain things with, you know, yeah. with the whole thing when we talked about the DEA, you know, finding how I knew they're corrupt, but how dirty. Oh, yeah filthy they are you know this is not stuff that's reported on cbs or nbc or abc any of the news things now it's like public interest fluff story which is really sort of like advertising i feel like the news there is the news isn't like hard hitting or, or reaching into no, anything it's like not at all it's all like promotion 
and advertising and uh, celebrity be, and celebrity and be scared of black people <laughs> right isn't people. that yeah anybody <laughs> any brown or I mean melanin be scared of melanin why are you afraid of melanin it's 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 not informative and you know the fact of the matter is there are still a lot of people out there that do get their news from these media outlets and these media outlets are treating their viewers very unfairly and uninformed right like this the pipeline situation the only reason why I knew about it, thank God I read Huffington Post, because that's where I get my news, was the fact of Huffington Post, as well as Liberal media, liberal, not liberal, liberal media skewed everything to the... I don't think Huffington Post is just liberal media. I don't. Oh, it would be considered by... Oh, yeah. If you ask the Fox News people, they'd be like, Because it's the truth. Commie, pinko, liberals... It's the truth. I think MSNBC is very liberal. Yeah, I I, I do believe like there are big media, liberal and you know media outlets out there that are one-sided, and I don't like that either. But I do like Huffington Post because I get I get actually the facts from both ends. You do have right. conservative and liberal writers, as well as you have people who aren't writers that just write about this is an issue that we need to start talking about right. or getting your news about. You know, like the North Dakota pipeline. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, this to me is very, very important to me, seeing that I am a person that does have indigenous uh, blood. Yeah. And the fact that we're seeing this going on, like, this is civil this is civil rights all over again. And everybody's getting it. You don't have to be black. You don't have to be brown. You don't have to be Muslim. You don't have to be indigenous. All the darkies are getting it. <laughs> I'm, I'm really I and think it's women. terrible that they with the what with the Indian res, what, what we did with to the indigenous people of and we're still doing it we're still doing it this time it's being filmed and we're, we're yeah we're give we give them the, well the first thing is they were like no one owns the land and then we're like okay then we own the land and then I mean the whole time with the, the homesteading act it was sixteen dollars <laughs> for to get a 40 acre parcel of land from the government Crazy. and first they had to drive the Indians off. They like literally took soldiers and took them off and drove them them off the land. Killed them, shoved them off. This is now not white man territory. This is where our and and the homesteaders came out, they were like, Woohoo! We get SARS. Yeah, manifest destiny. We're entitled to this because we're Americans. Where where see this is why I don't like Little House on the fucking prairie. It it (laughs) is it is so entitled that that it's that we've the manifest destiny idea is pure entitlement. This is our land now. This land but then there's the songs. This land is your land. This land (laughs) is my land. From California to the New York Islands. No. Well Um, but it's not it's not and this is how you make America great again. <laughs> it's, um, it's, 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 you know, it's reparations. Just... But that's the thing we talked about it last time. What are, <sighs> what do reparations look like? Are they possible? Like, I think it's possible. How many generations does it take to like everybody for people to stop being having specific stereotypes about? I just wish people could realize what, what right is right and what wrong is wrong is like basic human decency and common sense like the the fact that you knew this is in indigenous people territory and you and there is the government knows that 
but the fact that you're letting this pipeline come through and you know that's wrong because this is their land this is their territory and you're doing that to them why why are we even going through with the pipeline what yeah is the why point? do we need the pipeline what, what's what's the point of it why don't we it's get some wrong. more solar energy you're giving you're you're stealing basically you're taking someone's property and say i'm gonna put my big dick on it and build through the missouri river and then i don't know i could pollute the river that's another reason why people yeah. are protesting because it's an oil pop pipeline right. so look what's going to happen to the wildlife and and the environment and why are we spending more money on on unrenewable resources why would we even do that we, why do we continue using you know oil out of the ground why are not are, why are we not utilizing the sun sun and the wind and the waves you know it's just wrong that you're going through someone's backyard doing that and then these people the protesters and these people are getting beat up and and tortured and and well i've seen now this gets down to human nature i've been thinking about this lately um because i'm reading the dark tower series which is set in the old west and then also the west world show on the hbo good show it is a good show but the casualness that people even when human life is fake but real the casualness that people can take with taking life and 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 even you know not just killing someone is is bad and we can agree with that but we do it all the time and we justify it and the stealing thing like the ruining of people's lives for profit I have a difficult time understanding that, although, you know, I'm wearing a pair of Levi's jeans that were probably made in Indonesia, so I understand that that my cool pants come from. But, and I, it's hard to, like, justify. Like, I don't want to think I'm a bad person. Right. But I've been wondering about people that, like, I watched this documentary about the Barbary Coast and Shanghai uh, sailors from San Francisco. And they know that it happened at the old ship saloon because... They found a document. They found the documents of how many, what rooms they'd stayed in, how much they drank or whatever, and how much they got paid per person that they hit over the head and then dragged to a boat. So they have actual, you can see how this man, this person who was running the saloon and the, and the hotel upstairs, how they profited off of ruining people's lives. And I'm just like, how can you do that? And it's to see the money, to have the money there. It was like $10 a guy, basically. Like $10 they got paid. So that was like they were selling people into slavery for $10 a piece. Damn. Right? Isn't that crazy? This is like 19 or 1849, 1862. been Shanghai, man. Right. Yeah. And that was real. But... And imagine how much people got from, you know, African slaves. Yeah, I wonder. You know. I wonder. And if... 25 cents. And if people... And some people, but some people in Africa betrayed their own people, and then they got taken too. Sold us out. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And it's all in the name of profit, you know. And the thing is, it's just like people are so greedy. Like, I know we've, we've, I know both of us have had that moment, moment of being greedy, and wanting more. Usually for and, ice cream, but yeah. <laughs> And you know the fact of the matter is like I, I've had enough, but I just want more, and that's what the fact of like you know, people doing evil things. I, I, I mean, if you if you start to become inhumane by your greed, kill yourself. <laughs> I just I just don't understand how 
a person could justify it and live with themselves. Like the, 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 whole, the whole Shanghai thing or the whole, I mean, just selling people into slavery. That concept for me, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around like what a person becomes when they are so, they're easily able to bring about someone's misfortune for their own gain. That for me, like trying to think through that, and watching them suffer and watching them and being like well that's it bye like that stuff's hard for me to conceptualize because you have a soul well but (laughs) but uh, how is that how how does that exist why does that exist like how come i i just can't couldn't believe i if there if we were in a time of war and people were coming down the street and i I don't know. I'd probably hide. I, I don't know. I don't think I could take. Because you're human, and maybe you know what it feels like to be hurt or taken advantage of, and you, you, go back to that time, of like, hey, I know what that feels like. You know, you have there's some kind of connection, you know, of that. I just even stealing, like that's hard for me too. I feel guilty after I steal. Well, I haven't stole. I mean. I, I mean, I haven't stolen anything in a long time, but I felt. Long. But w- when I have, and I when felt I, but guilty. when I did steal, it was from large corporations, and big things. They weren't missing it. That weren't, yeah. <laughs> I've Rather stolen than, hearts. But uh, yeah, right. <laughs> but I, I would never steal from a friend because it would be no. too. I would rather just ask them rather than try to take something from them without no, them knowing? No, like stealing, no, I, yeah. That, you know, that sad thing is people, there are friends that do that every single day. Really? Yeah, I, I, yeah, and that's sad. Like I would never steal from a family member, a friend, or I, listen. Okay, no, that I would steal uh, from a family member <laughs> because like, you know, but when I was little, like my mom's purse, like I'd take her change sometimes, but I felt entitled to that somehow. So that, I justified that from, by that's being like, like a growing pain. Right. That's like that you I'm going to take the money do. from my mommy's purse because <laughs> her things are my things. And so her money is my money. So I'm going to take four quarters. But I know it's still bad, but still, yeah, I'm still going to do it. But I mean, I think the fact of the matter is just people are starting to get too self-absorbed with thyself and not think about others. Yeah. But we also, I mean, it's, I feel like we're just living in a world that's just getting more and more inhumane and regressing. I think we're regressing instead of progressing. And I agree with that because of the, I think the touchscreen technology and how many people are just inside their phones. Yes. And there's so much connection happening inside your phone, but it's actually disconnect. You feel connected but you're actually more disconnected from humanity. I, I, exactly. Prime example, there was an incident that happened on the New York uh, subway about five years ago. Guy um, was pushed off the subway. <gasps> that is like my biggest, filming, this is like my biggest fear that I'm walking on the it. BART play. Someone was just someone filming it rather than the helping them. <gasps> that is the kind of stuff. Or when you see And people, the train was coming? Yeah. So someone was filming it rather than helping them. Or when you see like people fighting and you see people filming it and laughing rather than helping someone, that's the kind of shit that, you know, I feel like technology and where the inhumanity is starting to really, you know, know, go to the core. This city kind of takes it out of you. Like, I don't even know anymore if I'm supposed to help or what I'm supposed to. 
like I got off sure. the bus yesterday off the 38 Geary and there were tons and tons of people and there was a lady who looked 60 plus and she was like sitting on the ground and she had her bag next to her and I couldn't tell if she'd fallen down and needed help or if she was just sitting on the ground and then but I didn't help her up and I didn't ask her if she needed help because I feel feel like she would have been saying help me right and that's all the tricky thing it's definitely especially living in this city because there have been times that I know that you have I, and I have. You're like, are you okay? Fuck off, bitch. Yeah. I don't oh, know. I'm sleeping. Oh. Yeah, I oh, thought yeah. a guy was dead. I thought a guy was dead. It was hot out and he was underneath a carpet, you know, a carpet pad or something that you would use to roll something up if you were moving it or transferring. Not a real blanket, but like a kind of a gross thing and heavy, thick and uh, wrapped up in it. And the sun and then his face was starting to get sunburned. And I hadn't seen him move, and I'd gone by that area twice on Leavenworth. And um, the second time, I was just like, excuse me, sir, are you okay? And he, he yelled at me, just like, fuck off, I'm asleep, get the fuck out of here! <laughs> and I'm like, I thought you were dead, sorry. <laughs> you haven't moved in like six hours, bro. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and those, <laughs> and that's the tricky point of like trying to help somebody here in this city because you got to be you got to have some street smarts for real living here and dealing with these street folks here because mm-hmm. you got to know which ones that you're picking to help like i i would you know honestly i wish i could help you know everybody yeah. I, but you can't and some people don't want fucking help so to help with them but like even even giving up your seat on the fucking bus for an old person. I wouldn't do it this morning because I was hungover, though. It was a full bus, and I had a seat, and the girl next to me was clearly younger than me. She gave up her seat, and I was happy. Good. But I was like, motherfuckers, I am 42 years old, and I am hungover as fuck. And it is, a, it, it is 9 a.m. on the 49 bus that I am taking from Glen Park all the way to the TL. So I am sitting See, I'm, I'm usually that person that gives it up. Doesn't matter if I'm like having a bad day, because I'm just like, I don't want to be that person. But I notice, whenever I'm on the bus, I usually kind of see like what my surroundings are. If there are a lot more men on the bus, you say you get your ass up, and I, sir. And I, if I see an old lady, and I'm like, I'm, I'm waiting to see it's almost like a game that i play and i'm waiting to see if like which one of you guys are going to get up first it's, it's probably going to be me that's going to end up getting up <laughs> yeah. but i'm just playing this game just to see and long behold sure enough i'm right none of these assholes get up to help their seat for the woman so i'm like i guess i'll be the gentleman in the house right right men step up your game yeah assholes yeah. I, I mean, just, that, that just pisses I, me off. I threw up twice this morning. I got to sit on the bus. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, it was, I I got to sit. I was like, no one is taking this, this seat from me today. Because I, I couldn't even have? read. I was so hungover, I couldn't even read. I, I hosted Brainwash last night, and when I host Brainwash, I get free food and beer. So I got a Chinese chicken salad because I love it, but that probably was not the right thing to fill my tummy to drink. I, I drank an entire pitcher of beer to myself of IPA and I had two before we left so I I at 4:30 I had my first beer and then I had one so yeah I had two before 6:30 when I got there and then from 6:30 until 10 I had a I had a whole pitcher to myself so I probably drank like 
seven IPAs last night. So you're not going to be feeling like an IPA for a minute, huh? Well, well, tonight I'm actually really stoked that I'm babysitting. Um, It's kind of a weird day for me. I have um, AltaCast here, and then some call me Tim, with special guest Adam Rubenfeld, our first Jew. Very excited about that. Sweet. Uh, And then Pervert Fervor is going to play the Moogity Moogs. And then from four to like 5.30, I'm going to work on um, stuff for the festival. And then I babysit from 5.50 to like 7 and so I'm stoked because I'm just going to have Jonathan like pick me up and I was like let's go because I'm house sitting at this amazing house in Glen Park so he has a parking space there's a big kitchen if I want to cook dinner or if we want to just I was like, make sweet love by the fire yeah exactly well they have a fireplace too but (laughs) yeah um, and they have their TV is so big it's like it's it's crazy okay definitely take advantage of that kitchen yeah most definitely yeah yeah their kitchen's really it was just remodeled and oh yeah they're really they're really cool people and i get and i get to their dog is named maggie and she's just a darling little doggy she's been sleeping with us upstairs oh yeah she's really cute but uh so i'm really excited to just take a night off of like you know if i drink i'll have like maybe one drink but i don't even at this point i am cool to take a night off (laughs) Last night was fun, and it worked out really well with my double sign-up, and um, it was fun. Because there's, there's so many open mics on a Tuesday um, that I usually get butthurt when people come and sign up at 6.30, and then they don't come back, or they're late, or they're not, but something happens, and they mess up their time, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I did two sign-ups. I did a 6.30 sign-up for the 7 to 8.30 show, and an 8 o'clock sign-up for the 8.30 to 10 show because I wanted to ensure that people would stay there. I just don't want them to leave, you know, because once they leave, they probably or may not come back. So I like to keep them there. Anyways, that's my theory. Uh, All right, here we go. This is talking about good stuff with people and uh, nice. uh, President Obama commutes the sentences of 98 people, bringing his total to 872. Wow. That's almost a grand. Yeah. Uh, Today, Drug Policy Alliance, the president is trying to fix a broken system of justice. Time for Congress to follow. Today, President Barack Obama commuted the sentences of 98 people incarcerated in federal prison serving time under outdated and harsh drug sentences. This brings his total number of clemencies granted to 872 people. This came out on the 27th, by the way. President Obama has been pushed to do more to release those serving time in prison under harsh drug laws. This continued historic commutation of prisoners by President Obama is needed to correct the inherent racial disparities in our criminal justice system, said Tony Papa, media relations manager for the Drug Policy Alliance, who was granted clemency in New York State in 1997 after serving 12 years under the Rockefeller drug laws for a first-time nonviolent drug offense. Papa just released his new book, This Side of Freedom, Life After Clemency, which speaks about the roadblocks he faced when he was released. It's a sure sign of the president's compassion for those who are rehabilitated and ready to come home to their families. It's great to see the president step up the frequency of commutation announcements, said Michael Collins, deputy director at DPA's Office of National Affairs. He may only have less than three months left in office, but that's plenty of time to bring more people home. Yay! Yeah, let people out of jail, friends. Like, especially if they should be. So, this is the book, um, This Side of Freedom by Anthony Papa. It's a 
paperback that was released April 8th of 2016. You guys can find it on Amazon Prime. It's only 99 cents on Kindle. It's $12.99 for the paperback. This Side of Freedom Life After Clemency is a riveting, compelling tale about the life of an activist, writer, and artist, Anthony Papa. He tells firsthand of his experience of returning home after serving 12 years of a 15-to-life sentence for a nonviolent drug crime sentenced under the mandatory provisions of the Rockefeller drug laws of New York State. In 1997, he was granted executive clemency by New York Governor George Pataki. Papa says that the freedom he fought so hard to get smacked him swiftly in the face, overpowering him. He struggles with his freedom while fighting to free those he left behind. Papa goes through heart-wrenching trials and tribulations as he seeks to end the war on drugs and save those he left behind. Along the way, he meets an array of individuals from famous movie stars to politicians and the very rich, enlisting their help in doing away with mass incarceration and draconian sentencing laws that have destroyed America's criminal justice system. Go buy his book, This Side of Freedom, nice. Life After Clemency. 99 cents on Kindle. Yay. Drug policy. Drugs. Yay. Drugs. Drugs. Very important. Yeah. Uh... We'll do one more. This is interesting uh, about heroin. Yay, heroin. heroin. <laughs> Just making kidding. a comeback. Like, making a comeback. Well, and it is interesting that now that the white people are are on it, that all of these, uh, you know, clemencies and cratoms being passed. You need to help them. All the changes. It's poor little. There needs to be more rehab. Y'all, where were y'all back during the crackademic? Right. Yeah. Just animals and savages. Right. But, but now it's just like, oh no, Betsy's on heroin. <laughs> We've got to get a rehab. It's a disease. Yeah. 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 It wasn't a disease for us. We were just savages. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's terrible Double that standard. they're it, absolutely. Uh, this is from the 26th of October, Friday, New Mexico Legislative Committees to hear about heroin-assisted treatment. International expert Dr. Eugenia Oviedo jokes, and the well, her, that's her name, J-O-E-K-E-S. Wow. Uh, and uh, Oviedo jokes, and the Drug Policy Alliance to testify on the alternative treatment for chronic heroin addiction. Santa Fe on Friday, international expert Dr. Eugenia Oviedo Jokis and Lindsay LaSalle from the Drug Policy Alliance will testify in a joint meeting of the Interim Legislative Health and Human Services and Courts, Corrections, and Justice Committees. They will present on heroin-assisted treatment, an evidence-based treatment for chronic heroin addiction. Heroin maintenance may be feasible, effective, and cost-effective strategy for reducing drug use and drug-related harm among long term heroin users in New Mexico for whom other treatment programs have failed. Heroin-assisted treatment, also known as heroin maintenance, refers to the supervised administration by a doctor of pharmaceutical-grade heroin, diacetylmorphine, to chronic heroin users who have failed more traditional forms of treatment, including abstinence-based models and medications such as methadone. Permanent heroin-assisted treatment programs have been established in the United Kingdom, Switzerland, and the Netherlands, Germany, and Denmark, with additional trial programmings having been completed in Spain, Belgium, Luxembourg, and even our neighboring Canada. The 
results have been unanimously positive. Empirical studies have conclusively demonstrated that heroin-assisted treatment is a highly cost-effective intervention that dramatically reduces illicit drug use, crime, disease, and overdose, while improving health, well-being, social integration, and treatment retention among heroin-dependent persons who have failed prior treatment. Uh, Dr. Eugenie Oviedo Jokes was formerly co-investigator of North America's first heroin-assisted treatment trial, the North American Opiate Medication Initiative, Naomi, and current principal investigator of the study to assess long-term opioid maintenance effectiveness, Salome, a randomized clinical trial testing innovative treatments for severe long-term opioid dependency. Lindsay LaSalle is the senior staff attorney in Drug Policy Alliance Office of Legal Affairs. LaSalle is particularly active in the areas of harm reduction and overdose prevention, including Good Samaritan and Naloxone distribution laws, heroin-assisted treatment, expanded access to medical medication-assisted treatment in both community and criminal justice settings, and supervised injection services, among others. Uh, the DPA heroin assistant treatment fact sheet, uh, under HAT, which is heroin assisted treatment, pharmacological heroin is administered under strict controls in a clinical setting to those who have failed other treatments like methadone. Every published evaluation of HAT has shown extremely positive outcomes, major reductions in illicit drug use, crime, disease, and overdose, and improvements in health, well-being, social reintegration, and treatment retention. More than half a dozen countries in Europe and Canada have implemented heroin-assisted HAT programs. Uh, that is interesting, right? Yeah, that is. I'm surprised. Wouldn't have the... What was the... Uh the drug that the DEA was trying to ban recently? The Kratom. The Kratom. Yeah, that works, that gets people off of heroin. Heroin. Yeah. Well, that wasn't mentioned at all, was it? No, not at all. No, not yeah. at all. Uh, but I think because this is, I mean, I think this is really neat. Heroin-assisted treatment, meaning that you've tried Kratom, you've, you've been through, you've been to rehab four times. You know what I mean? It's like so much rehab, you've tried it. You can't, it's just, you're still living on the street. You, you got to have the hair. Like, if you've tried the methadone and it doesn't work, you've tried the, and you're just, just can't stop. I mean, in a clinical setting, if it's like, okay, you have to stop this unsafe behavior that you're doing, like sharing needles and doing it in bathrooms and, you know, public places, etc. But if you go into this, like, clinical area, and uh, are administered by a doctor. I mean, I guess it would change. You'd still get the feelings. Like, so you're not sick, basically. That's because, yeah, you're trying to avoid being dope sick by this point. Right. You know, because you're not even getting high anymore. You're just trying to avoid getting sick. Right. So they could probably, I don't know, wean them off of it? I'm not sure. This is... Um, had a successful second-line treatment. Several countries have gone beyond methadone and adopted heroin-assisted treatment programs, which have proven successful. Typically, patients receive injectable or inhalable heroin three to two to three times per day hmm. from a doctor in a clinic under strict controls. Um, Peer-reviewed studies around the world have found that HAT is associated with decreased illicit drug use, crime, overdose fatalities, and risky injecting, as well as improvements in physical and mental health, employment, and social relations. In contrast, few reports have appeared in the scientific literature demonstrating any harmful consequences of HAT. Um, 
Every hat trial has shown a marked decrease in illicit street heroin use. A 2015 systematic review and meta-analysis published by the British Journal of Psychiatry reviewed six randomized control trials of HAT and found that across the trials, there was a greater reduction in the use of illicit heroin among HAT patients compared to the control groups who were only receiving methadone. Ah, the authors concluded that heroin prescribing as part of a highly regulated regimen is a feasible and effective treatment for particularly difficult to treat group of heroin dependent patients. So they've tried, they've, they've tried the methadone and it's just not happening. And they're continuing to do more street heroin and be risky and stuff. So it's like, just give them the heroin. Yeah, if that's what they want. <laughs> just give them what they want. Well, but I think I think I think it is a good idea, a good idea because that when you are containing uh, public health as well, you know. So right. Oh, here this is really interesting. I never checked this. Press resources on uh, from Drug Policy Alliance. They have uh, images, videos, and tips. Uh, they tell you that what you should use on a white or light background. Uh, what to use on dark backgrounds. They've got marijuana stock photos, marijuana <laughs> B-roll, uh, realistic marijuana user stock images. <laughs> Media outlets continue to use stereotypical stoner images for otherwise serious news stories about marijuana. The Drug Policy Alliance is offering an alternative stock photos of real everyday people who use marijuana. These photos are open licensed and free to use for non-commercial editorial purposes, and we hope they will make the job of editors easier and content more relevant. Learn more about why showing humanized, accurate marijuana is so important. These are great pictures. Young female smoking marijuana with pipe and playing on tablet. Older male and female couples smoking marijuana in bed. Uh, diverse group of adults smoking marijuana and watching a movie. I'm going to put these on our... Um, <laughs> Make a collage. Uh, yeah, I'm going to download these images and uh, this is exciting and we'll put it on... We'll, uh, that's so great. And they've got... You can download the image. You just click right to downsize the full image. I love these guys. It's so easy. It's so real. Thank you. Hey, that's me. Look uh, at this. Save image to downloads. Wow. Um, and I'll, we'll do the older couple smoking in bed. That's cute. Look how cute they are. Uh, look at them. Oh, they're so cute. Don't oh, the, they're just Don't let the sheets on couple. fire. Um, and then we'll do diverse uh, adults smoking. That's here. It is. Me. There's a fat guy. Oh, no, it's a, it's a fat lady. She's, uh, I'm sorry, she's kind of like a guy, but she's, I'm sorry. I wonder sorry. what movie she's, they're watching. Uh, yeah. Well, this is really great. So let's read this. Learn more about why showing humanized, accurate marijuana uh, is important. Everyday, armless, norm core marijuana stock photos. The they put these up on 420, 2015. The Drug Policy Alliance just released a bunch more stock photos of everyday, harmless, normal core people consuming marijuana. The internet responded with applause, amusement, gratitude, and a wave of colorful comments. Uh, it, today is April 420, the unofficial national holiday celebrated by marijuana enthusiasts. This might be the year that people who love marijuana have more to rejoice about than ever. The once vilified plant, it is not easy being green, and the battle to end its disastrous prohibition is now leaping into the mainstream in both culture and politics. CNN can't, stop to, uh, can't seem to stop talking about it. Uh, blah, blah, blah. And everyone from Barack Obama to Martha Stewart has admitted to inhaling. 
Uh, nearly half of Americans say they've tried marijuana. That's a lot of people. And they can't possibly all look like the dude from the Big Lebowski. No disrespect to the dude. Many of them probably look like regular folks with mortgages, jobs, tie-dye articles of clothing and the like. Still, many journalists, even well-meaning ones, use offensive cartoonish or just plain absurd photos that would be considered unthinkable when covering any other story issue. Take, for instance, this recent story about a Canadian yoga studio that started off each class with a bit of marijuana consumption for relaxation. You might chuckle, but marijuana combined with yoga is apparently a thing. Instead of featuring a photo of a person who looks like they might be doing yoga, the photo editor chose a picture of a young woman with bags under her eyes puffing a joint who looks like she just woke up out of her college dorm room after three days of partying without sleep. (laughs) Well, we decided to give the media the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they don't mean to imply that everyone that likes marijuana and everyone in favor of legalizing it looks like a cliche, but it's hard to find people willing to be photographed in the act of consuming marijuana. After all, it isn't fully legal yet. Uh, There you go. Fun stuff. Uh, yeah, they have diverse group of adults smoking marijuana at a barbecue. Younger Asian female taking marijuana tincture. Uh, older male. This is great. I'm like, oh, wow, there's five pages of these. <laughs> wow. And they don't have T-shirts with the bud no. on it. They look like normal people. This guy's smoking out of a vaporizer. This guy's smoking a bong. It's, this is this is a lot of fun. Thanks, Drug Policy Alliance. New discovery. Yeah. Drug Policy Alliance. Drugs, drugs, drugs. We drugs. love drugs. Yes, we do. Um, but not heroin. Yeah. Drugs. I mean, apparently no way is a thing. I'm um, not trying to get that high. Well. <sighs> Speaking of getting that high, I made the um, horrible, horrible mistake by accepting drugs from a stranger on oh. on the boat oh the what kind of drugs out, special k oh no wow ketamine wow how'd that not go not fun not fun i mean thank god it's very quick and brief and it was i i felt not sick but i was not here and i knew i was not here and right. i was just like i get it together but everything's so wobbly <laughs> Yeah. Was it fun? I, I'm not, I also am not a fan of um, ketamine. I only did it once. And how was that for you? Burning Man in uh, 2007. How'd that work out for you, my dear? Well, my friend, the prophet Jeff Holmes, uh, rebirthed the world, also channeled Kurt Cobain for a while. <laughs> um, I thought that a guy riding a bike was on fire. <laughs> really, he... It was uh, a dummy on fire on a bike being towed behind a car that we couldn't see. So I was freaking out because I'm like, that guy is on fire. Like somebody has to help that guy. And I couldn't do anything. Um, Because you're stuck in a hole. I was, well, I was stuck in a chair. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, I guess a police person came up or something and everyone was like, act normal. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Like... It, I didn't, I didn't. It's not fun because, like, you. F- I felt like I was in a hole, literally. Like, I couldn't yeah. get out, but I was trying to be normal. Like, I was really, right. really overthinking things, and I knew I wasn't in my right state of mind. Right. And I like to have a little bit of control when I'm high on something, on a substance. Yeah. That way I'm, like, not looking like I'm high, but... Was it? Was he? Did he want to rape you? What? what, what was no, it? no. The the it was the special K. It was just like 
this was. It but sometimes fun. they do that. They they make girls take too much special K, so they fall into a K hole, so they can't do anything, and then people. Oh just yeah, have the sex numbness. Yeah, and then you can't move or yeah. Right. No, I didn't take that much. Okay, good. Yeah, I yeah. Ooh, the sad thing is, I still have some left. Oh boy. Which I'm gonna flush down the toilet. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's it's a really interesting drug because it's a it's a. It's a disassociative, so it's used with uh, monkeys, cats, and horses a lot of times to do surgery because you can cut into a cat and you don't have to give them any anesthesia, and anesthesia kind of represses their um, respiratory system. So ketamine, same with monkeys, it doesn't do that, but you can kind of fuck with them and cut them and do all kinds of things and they don't feel pain and they don't respond to it. They're numb. Because they're numb, and, um, but it's a disassociative, so it'd be like, the way I explain it to people when they're like, I don't get it. It would be like, you'd see a finger on a table and be like, that's a finger, but you wouldn't understand that it was your finger. You wouldn't look at your hand right. and be like, I don't have a finger. There's a finger. That's my finger. You wouldn't get it. No. You'd be like, there's a finger on the table. And it wouldn't, you wouldn't think, oh, that's my finger. That's a problem. <laughs> that That's a problem. Yeah. So um, I guess in small amounts, it can be fun, but in large doses it, it can be a, a nightmare yeah i luckily had only sm- a small amount yeah. and uh yeah that small amount was not pleasant so there yeah that's my drug story of the week we're going to listen to uh get the facts on prop 64 california's cannabis legalization ballot initiative this is from high times and of course what starts it out is we are the drug policy alliance so keeping with our thematic covering of these important issues uh these are the facts on prop 64 i'm lynn lyman i'm the state director for the drug policy alliance here in california and we are one of the co-chairs for proposition 64 the adult use of marijuana act Proposition 64 is a comprehensive marijuana legalization initiative, so it uh, legalizes uh, for adults the use, possession, transport, and sharing of cannabis. That's adults 21 and over. Um, It sets up a regulatory system for uh, the commercial uh, market, and it is a huge sentencing reform, massively reducing uh, criminal justice penalties across the board for marijuana violations. We've had a liberalization of our marijuana laws in California over the past 20 years. Despite that, we've had nearly a half a million marijuana arrests in California um, over the past 10 years. Prop 64 reduces or eliminates nearly all marijuana violations uh, in the books. The only two remaining felonies um, are uh, selling to minors or home butane extraction. Those are both current felonies and they'll both remain felonies under Prop 64. Most importantly, children will never go to jail again in California for uh, marijuana activity. 17 and under, which is a minor in California, can only receive a non-fine infraction for any marijuana violation. And at age 18, their record is sealed. Anybody in California who has a California-based marijuana conviction on their record will be eligible to have that record uh, reduced or expunged. 
and anybody currently incarcerated for a marijuana violation that has been changed by this law will be eligible for a reduction in their sentence and a potential release. Prop 64, we have a provision in there that says you cannot deny somebody a license based on their prior drug convictions. You know, at Drug Policy Alliance, we share the concern of, you know, making sure our mom and pop, our small farmers, our longtime, uh, you know, cultivators don't get pushed out of this business. So there's a couple of things we did in Prop 64 to protect the rights of the small growers. One of them is, and the biggest one is probably the five-year ban on any large licenses. Fees is another way um, that we set up a framework for the small business. So rather than having a fees um, per license type, we have fees per size. So if you open a small retail business, your fee will be much smaller than if you open a large retail business. The same with cultivation, manufacturing, etc. Prop 64 has 19 license types. Everything from large uh, outdoor cultivator to indoor cultivator to small cultivator, manufacturer, distributor, retail, etc. We also created um, a new special license type that was not in MRSA called the micro license. And this is for the small businesses, so 10,000 square feet or smaller, who can fully vertically integrate under one license. And so they can grow at home, they can uh, manufacture, they can sell. So the idea is that the micro license would operate a lot like a microbrewery or a winery where you can come, you can see the plants growing, you can touch them and smell them, you can get a tour. Um, when, if, if your locality has opted in for on-site consumption, then you might be able to use on-site, consume on-site. On-site consumption, the way that uh, we think about it, is much like a cigar lounge. So a place where um, uh, cannabis consumers can hang out and use their cannabis. Now under Prop 64, cannabis cannot be sold in any place where alcohol or tobacco are sold. So you're not going to see this happening in a bar. It would be a cannabis-specific lounge. And so we want to make sure that you know we do have places for people who might not have a private home, either available to them or close enough or whatever it may be, to be able to use cannabis as safe, responsible adults the way we like to, to use anything else. The other thing that uh, Prop 64 allows for is what we call appellates of origin. So the way we have, uh, you know, um, Napa Valley wine, you know, we can have Humboldt County marijuana, and it will be verified. So the third party um, inspector will give you that appellates of origin to, to say that, you know, you are getting cannabis from, you know, the Humboldt Hills. For the state tax revenue, it goes into the new marijuana fund. First, the cost of regulation comes off the top. And then there's a couple of funds that come off the top. So there's some money that goes to research, researching the impact of legalization. There's $2 million a year that goes to medical marijuana research at the Institute of Medicinal Marijuana in San Diego. Some $3 million a year in the first five years that goes to California Highway Patrol to begin to research how uh, to determine um, how folks are driving under the influence of alcohol and other drugs. And then the $50 million community reinvestment fund. 
This is money that uh, no matter how much the uh, revenue is each year, this $50 million comes off the top and goes to those communities that have been the most targeted by the war on drugs. So high incarceration, high arrest communities will get this money to do um, the things that they want to do in their community. So whether it's job training, microfinancing for new businesses, after school programs, drug treatment for adults, uh, legal services, each community will be able to decide that money will be given out in a competitive kind of grant basis. So once you have all those pieces off the top, you have um, the, the three, the, the pot is split three ways. 60% uh, of the remaining funds goes to the Department of Healthcare Services for uh, youth drug treatment, prevention, and education. Uh, there's 20% that goes to um, environmental restoration, remediation, and protection. So one of the unfortunate consequences of having an unregulated market for the last 20 years um, is the damage to the environment. There's been watershed diversion, corruption, so a lot of environmental remediation needs to take place. And then the remaining 20% goes back to those uh, localities that have not banned. So if a city chooses to ban commercial, um, the commercial use of, of marijuana, then they will not get that last 20%. You know, this is going to be a challenging election. Um, first and foremost, it is a huge ballot in California. We're afraid people aren't going to get all the way down to 64. Um, we also know that uh, amongst likely voters who tend to be older, marijuana legalization isn't um, an issue they're passionate about. Many of them are opposed or don't care. We need our young people to get out and vote, talk to your family and friends, come out as a cannabis user. Every talk I do, I talk about myself as a daily cannabis user. Cannabis is a part of our life in, in a healthy, safe, and loving way. And so just kind of spreading the cannabis culture love and getting people to vote. All the information can be found at LegalICA2016.com. Oh, yeah, Proposition 64. Love it, Proposition 64. So that was definitely um, Drug Policy Alliance saying yes, yes, yes on 64. But I thought it would be interesting to see who says no. Did we on find 64. something? Oh, absolutely. Oh, right. We have a bunch of no on 64. Let's find those people. We have to, dis we have to decide whether we want, I think what's, I don't know who Richard Eastman is, but he looks like an interesting cat. And he says no on Prop 64. He looks like a farmer. Let's listen to the, um, the first, the one that's on TV, the 30-second ad. All right, let's go uh, for we'll it. See we'll see what that's about. Proposition 64 will allow marijuana smoking ads in prime time and on programs with millions of children and teenage viewers. Children could be exposed to ads promoting marijuana gummy candy and brownies, the same products blamed for a spike in emergency room visits in Colorado. Fatalities doubled in marijuana-related car crashes after legalization in Washington state. Yet, in California, Proposition 64 doesn't even include a DUI standard. Prop 64. They got it wrong again. Oh, okay, wait, hold it's on. so funny, hold the little on. girl. The, the, I wish people could see the face of the little girl of the smoke being blown in her face. She turns her head. Oh, <laughs> so tragic. And the little girl with the gummy bears. Gummy bears, <laughs> gummy, gummy bears. bears. Well, this is funny. <laughs> I found some gummy bears at the bottom of my bag, and I think they're marijuana gummy bears, but I have no idea. They're, I might have to like rinse them off because they're a little bit gooey, Like, but... I'm hoping that they're marijuana. Well, let's, so let's, uh, this is like one of the things as a parent, though, if you have kids and you do like your edibles, put it away with your alcohol. Yeah, dummies. Duh. If, 
Right. Because if your kids are gonna and where your guns are, are, are there not are there not alcohol commercials on TV? Are there not TV? Are there not commercials saying Budweiser, the yeah, best drink responsibly, but crash? Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I really I love drinking yeah. Budweiser. Budweiser, look, you can Football. get a woman like this oh. if you drink a six pack of this. Wrong. Oh, yeah, I know. Wrong, you know. fatty. Uh, <laughs> so we can. I, I think I think I think we want to listen to this guy until he makes us crazy. He looks like a farmer, Richard Eastman. He looks like a crazy person. Ooh, let's see. But uh, we're gonna. I'm there's only one thousand seven hundred seventy-nine. Joe, Joe Hill. Hill. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like a fantastic comedy clubhouse. <laughs> Richard Eastman on fire about Prop sixty-four. My name is Richard Eastman. I'm an AIDS patient that 21 years ago or 22 years ago was told he had six months to live. I'm standing in front of the tree in West Hollywood Park where Dennis Perone, the author of California Proposition 215, John Heilman, the mayor of West Hollywood, city councilman, and Richard Eastman at a gay pride event met. And I said, well, I don't know if I got six months to live or two years to live living with AIDS. Can I bring medical marijuana to Los Angeles and open here in West Hollywood? Yes, this is the spot. But today we're not making a documentary. We're here about Proposition 64, the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, a horrible thing that ultimately was put on the ballot by the, the corruptors of greed and the weed. Uh, and I could go down the list of names, George Soros, Monsanto, Richard Lee, Oaksterdam, all the corrupt people, Stephen D'Angelo, all the people that just want to make money on marijuana. Dennis Perone, when he got out of the Vietnam War, came to San Francisco with some marijuana and eventually became one of the biggest pot dealers in America. Richard Eastman ran away from San Francisco to Los Angeles to become a motion picture customer. And ultimately, yeah, I got AIDS and I almost died and Jonathan, Dennis Perone's lover died of AIDS. Now, you don't have to die with AIDS anymore. You can live with it, but some of them pills that we take, the antiretrovirals, the protease inhibitors, make me sick sometimes. And marijuana gives me that appetite. And Proposition 64 is an infringement on Proposition 215 because, first of all, legalization doesn't do anything for poor, indigent people. People on Medicare, Medi-Cal, Medicaid, in all the states across America will never get free marijuana if it's legalized. It's a no-brainer, kids. Whoever sees this video should take it from a man 63 years young, living with AIDS for 22 years, that's urging you to vote no on 64 in this coming election in November. And a shout out to a woman running for president without mentioning her name, because this is a no on 64 commercial. I don't know, I'm giving you more time than I thought I was gonna give you, but this initiative does nothing to help poor indigent people, people that can't afford to pay their rent, can't afford to buy food, let alone their medications over the counter like aspirin or whatever, are gonna be forced to go to these liquor pot stores, uh, uh, tobacco shop pot shops to get their recreational legalized marijuana, and that's an excuse for- Okay, he's, he, this is why he's being a crazy person right now. <laughs> because if they do it the way that they have done it in um, Washington and Oregon, and I believe in Colorado as well. Medical marijuana still stands in its same situation. Right. But it's cheaper because they tax the, 
if you have the medical card, things pretty much stay the same. Right. Like they have like a, the way they do it in um, Washington is that anybody can walk in and buy pot. But if you have a medical card, you get access to like the back room and the back room is like special and less expensive. So like I went into a pot store and it was an eighth and it was like $75. But if you have your medical card from California, you get to go in the back room and then there's all more things. It's kind of like discounted. Right. Well, it's, it's like the same price. It's like it, it's not taxed in the same way. Right. Which as would make sense because if you're a Washington State resident, which most likely you would have that card, it'll it, you get that discount because you're a resident. As for if I'm visiting, I'm going to pay. I don't have a card, and so I'm paying that higher tax because I'm a right. visitor. So well, or you just don't want, or you d- never wanted to do medical marijuana. You didn't want it, the card. You didn't want your name right. on a thing. You didn't want to go to a doctor. You but just anyone walk can in get a card. And uh, almost any. Resi- yeah. uh, I mean, if you're a resident, that is right, 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 right. right. But th- they'll take a card from from another place. Let's. Uh, uh, Richard Eastman isn't convincing me too much. We're gonna see what Humboldt has to say about it. Um, this has three thousand views, so this is exciting. I hate to be a bummer, but. Probably already know that Prop 64 is a trick. Would you rather that I just played music when I show you my plants and give you my opinions? Hey, it says you can have six plants, but it makes it a privilege, not a right. 215 is a right. All those people who have 215s you know, you can have 99 plants or whatever. Uh, who's going to turn you in? Uh, who can't pay $80 for a recommendation? So, Prop 64, you got to get your recommendation from your primary caregiver. So that's going to cost you more, and a lot of primary caregiver f- physicians don't hand out marijuana cards. Also makes it 18 from two, the 215 law, jumps it up to, you have to be 21. That's true, but I marijuana. don't think that the 64 negates the 215. I don't think so. Which I don't care, I'm an old man. <laughs> but one ounce. Use your words, man. Waiting for that car to start. <laughs> there he goes. Anyway. <laughs> this is uh, great. Anyway, one ounce of marijuana his, his plants during this. is all you can have. Six plants. Up to six plants. No guarantee. Your city could say you can't have any plants because... It's too close to a school or because it costs too much for electricity. If Prop 64 passes, nice plan. He's got marijuana must be secured. So you have to build a house. What it, a greenhouse isn't secure. You could. So you'd have to build a structure to put it in. This guy couldn't grow it outside like this. Okay, so this guy says no, but he's not so, helping us out. Right? Yeah. He's not convincing is, us very well. No, yet. he's waiting for the car to start, literally. He's, yeah. Uh, okay, so th- Thank you everyone for- this is save Prop 215 and vote no on Prop 64 teach-in. Okay. And this happened, and we're going to, we're just going to let this run. 
Uh, Quick question. Yeah. So Prop 215 is the medical marijuana from 1996. Is that a correct? Is right. that what Prop 215? Right. Okay. Just checking. Yeah. I'm, so I'm not from um, here. It, and it's, I just, I don't, I didn't understand if this is what they're saying is true. I just didn't realize that. Prop 64 would negate Prop 215. But I thought they would both stand. But the big thing about Prop 64, the solution is the fact that it's going to help the criminal justice system. Yeah. Well, there's 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 great things about it. I think we're going to have... You take the good, you take the bad, and then right. you don't, and there you have the facts of life. The facts of life. And the world never seems to live up to your dreams unless you smoke enough marijuana. The thing is that, yeah, people want the money. We want to tax the crap out of it. We want to put the money to stuff. The government wants the money. It's going to make a bunch of jobs. It's, I mean, it's going to be really economically, it's going to be badass, right? Yeah. And it's letting people out of jail, which is awesome. Right. Um, But again, that tax they're going to put on farmers. Now, it's great that for the first five years, big interests can't come in and they're going to work with small farmers. But how many small farmers are going to really want to do this? That's that's kind of the thing. And then how are we going to force them to do this? Right. So are we creating a bigger black market? What is I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to see this is from Santa Cruz. Uh, and we're just going to we'll let this play out. We'll say goodbye at the end. But um, that way we can just we don't have to where we've been working so hard. Latoya, oh, so we have hard. We have to think and do uh, but <laughs> stay. Liz, uh, listen to this. We'll be we'll be back. But right before and then stay tuned for uh, some call me Tim with special guest Adam Rubenfeld, our first Jew excited about it. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's let's learn, everybody. And this is October 15th, Saturday night, the full moon. This is a teaching uh, to say Prop 215 and to vote no on Prop 64. We want to replicate this event throughout the state in the last few weeks of the, uh, before the election. I'm here to quickly announce our main speaker, and that is a, a good friend of mine and a good friend of Jack Harris, Buddy Doozy. Buddy Doozy is the treasurer of our organization that Jack Harris set up, and we are the California Cannabis Hemp Initiative. And this is our production tonight. We're doing a teaching against Prop 64. So Buddy Doozy is an old-time activist, Grateful Dead family, who was good friends of Captain Ed Adair, who's considered one of the founding fathers of the Cannabis Hemp Modern Reform Movement, of which Jack Harrod later took up the slack. So Buddy predates even Jack with his activism. And I always heard about Buddy through Jack Herrer and finally had the pleasure of meeting him. Once again, Buddy's the treasurer of our organization. We're the California Hemp Initiative 2016. We have a political action committee. And we fought long and hard to get this on the ballot. We tried to get this on the ballot in 2016 and failed, but we've been trying since 1990 to get this initiative on the ballot. Buddy's here to educate us, and I thank you, Buddy. Thank you, Robert Norris. Thank you, everyone that came out. Thank you, Sasha, for helping promote this event, and thank you, Elijah, for videoing. And without further further ado, I welcome you, Buddy, and to our event. Okay, what, what I'm going to do here is, uh, is I've taken the 
first part of Alma, the findings and declarations, where they kind of describe what they're doing, as well as the purpose and intent, where they describe what they're doing in Alma. And I analyzed, sentence by sentence, I analyzed, and I'll give you my opinion on what it is saying. I have, uh, if anybody doesn't have a copy, I have a copy to follow along. Basically, these are the remarks that I'm going to be presenting. And uh, I have them in colors because I'm just going to uh, address certain parts of each paragraph, the entire thing, just the ones that I find relevant. So this is an analysis of the findings, declarations, and the purpose and intent of Alma. Currently in California, non-medical marijuana use is unregulated, untaxed, and occurs without any consumer or environmental protections. My analysis of that sentence. I believe this opening sentence is thematic of the whole initiative. The narrative that they wish to portray is that cannabis is a danger to the people and the environment that is dominated by ruthless criminals and cartels and must be singled out for extensive regulation by nearly a dozen different enforcement agencies. The truth is that there are already laws on the books that protect our environment. It's already illegal to steal and divert water and to use federal lands without authorization. The second sentence goes like this. The Control, Regulate, and Tax Adult Use of Marijuana Act will legalize marijuana for those over 21 years old, protect children, and establish laws to regulate marijuana cultivation, distribution, sale and use, and will protect Californians and the environment from potential dangers. Analyzing this sentence, it's possible that legalization can be framed in a manner that's worse than criminalization. And that's the case with Alma. Most of the criminal laws governing cannabis will remain on the books. It will still be illegal to sell or possess cannabis in most cases. You can still go to jail or prison for possessing larger quantities or for sharing cannabis with someone under the age of 18. The same arbitrary DUI enforcement will still exist where the judgment of the police officer coupled with a positive test for metabolized cannabis is usually enough to get a DUI conviction. Moving on to sentence number three, Alma establishes the Bureau of Marijuana Control within the Department of Consumer Affairs to regulate and license the marijuana industry. Actually, it doesn't create a new Bureau of Marijuana Control. It just takes over MRSA. MRSA is the medical marijuana. MRSA is the law that was just passed in 2015 and signed by Governor Brown. Uh, and it created the Bureau of Medical Marijuana Control. What Alma does is it usurps that bureau, it drops the word medical, and it expands it to cover recreational pot. All of the onerous regulations contained in the MRSA bill will remain intact. The next, the next uh, point is point B in the findings and declarations. And I'll move on to the second sentence, where it says, abuse of the medical marijuana system in California has long been widespread. But recent bipartisan legislation signed by Governor Jerry Brown is establishing a comprehensive regulatory scheme for medical marijuana. My analysis is this. The notion that there's widespread abuse 
in the current medical cannabis industry is driven by the opposition's claim that doctors are writing notes to just about anybody who wants one. They point out that the CUA, Compassionate Use Act, that's Proposition 215, was written to allow seriously ill patients legal access to cannabis, and so only seriously ill patients should be eligible to enjoy the right to use legal cannabis. But 20 years of accumulated experience in medical cannabis use has demonstrated that the benefits of cannabis extend far beyond benefits afforded only to seriously ill patients. Patients suffering from stress, insomnia, PTSD, and other ailments, which may not be considered serious to some, are able to use legal cannabis for relief. The CUI, the Capacity Use Act language, states that cannabis can be used legally by patients suffering from not only serious ailments listed in the CUA, but I quote, in, I'm quoting 215 now, any other illness for which marijuana provides relief. So the CUA actually allows cannabis, doctors to recommend cannabis for just about anything that marijuana will provide relief. And so if that's being uh, too liberal, I don't see how, how that's being too liberal since we all know from 20 years of experience that cannabis relieves all kinds of uh, ailments. So given this language, a doctor can, in good conscience, recommend cannabis to just about anyone who wants to use cannabis instead of or in addition to other medications. Claiming that this is widespread abuse is to re reinforce the recurring theme of ALMA that pot is so dangerous that we can only legalize it if it is tightly regulated. 80 years ago, anti-cannabis hemp special interests gave us reefer madness. The notion that the cannabis implant was so dangerous that the entire plant should be made illegal. What ALMA is doing is giving us reefer madness 2.0. The acknowledgement that more and more people are coming to the realization that they lied about reefer madness and that marijuana isn't as bad as they said, but it's still so bad that it has to be legalized under what will turn out to be the most regulated scheme of any existing legal substance. Cannabis under ALMA will be regulated more heavy than any heavy narcotic or just about anything except for maybe nuclear fuel. The next, the next sentence, sentence number three, the Control, Regulate, and Tax Adult Use of Marijuana Act, hereafter called the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, will consolidate and streamline regulation and taxation for both non-medical and medical marijuana. Consolidate with MRSA. My analysis is uh, sentence number three. The dictionary definition of consolidate is to join together into one whole. So what Alma is Okay, so we've decided that these are just greedy, dirty hippies <laughs> that don't uh, that don't want to c commute people out of jail. And, thinking uh, about their selfish thinking reasons. Thinking about their selfish reasons. Uh, let's see. Here's <laughs> this is vote no on sixty four legalization of marijuana for entertainment in California. Emeryville Police Chief Jennifer Tejada advises to say no. So this is like kind of what you were looking for. Prop 64? Yes, yes. I think Prop 64 is a very poorly written piece of legislation that is clearly all about big profits for that industry and it lacks consideration for public safety and public health. 
Yes, so our peers in Washington and Colorado certainly have been experiencing the negative impacts of the legalization of recreational adult use marijuana. Mm -hmm. And one of the areas that is significant for us is when they tell us that in Washington, you know, 50% of their uh, car fatalities, it, it's up, their car fatalities are up 50%. In Colorado, they're up 23%. So clearly the use, the legalization of the use of marijuana for adults has impacted traffic safety. It has increased fatal collisions and that negatively impacts the state because there's a cost. There's a cost of human life and there's a cost in the court system. There's a cost in the health system. So those are impacts that we need to be very much aware of when we consider legalization in California. Mm -hmm. So um, in Denver, the regulation states that marijuana activity cannot occur uh, in a distance within a thousand feet of a school or a daycare center. Prop 64 s allows for marijuana sales or activities within 600 feet of a K through 12 school or daycare or um, uh, you know a facility, um, a preschool. And what it doesn't do is take into consideration parks, toy stores, malls, other places where we have children's presence. And so the consequence is going to be uh, challenging for local communities to prohibit the activity of marijuana in their communities. And if we look at what happened with alcohol sales and alcohol stores, you see that in most of the most fragile communities and neighborhoods, they are impacted with alcohol stores. And I think we will see the same impact with marijuana sales in those fragile neighborhoods. It's not going to be the wealthy communities. We're going to see these marijuana outlets in fragile neighborhoods, neighborhoods that are already grappling with crime, with um, you know youth access to alcohol. It's going to be rather challenging for them to, to uh, improve their neighborhoods with yeah. the addition of marijuana outlets. Yeah, yes. Yeah, we've spent if you look at how much effort we have spent on the topic of youth access to alcohol. Mm -hmm. Alcohol is the number one drug yes. in youth, yes. use in youth. Mm -hmm. And we have spent a considerable time with marketing of alcohol, mm -hmm. uh, working with local government to make sure that alcohol advertisements mm -hmm. are not uh, directed and targeted towards children. We make sure that stores uh, have alcohol not prominently displayed. We've put a lot of effort into making sure that we are safeguarding our youth against access and use of alcohol. We have nothing in Prop 64 
that speaks to that concern, not only about access, but about the health consequences of using marijuana. There is nothing in there that gives us the ability to safeguard our children from access to marijuana. It does say that it is Jeez. it is regulated for the use of 21 year yeah, olds and like over. Kids, 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 kids. Say what you said earlier about the kids. Well, uh, basically, you know, I feel like we use, uh, in a lot of political ads, we use kids as a pawn yeah. to, to exercise some kind of uh, a proposition that we're trying to get out there and I think it's kind of disgusting the fact that we use kids as a pawn when kids just want to be kids and play right. and kids don't know about this until we tell them about this and so the fact of the matter that a lot of these political ads like and then it'll be and the kids will know about it and then it won't be a school-free zone and then the kids and then what and about the, the children and what well about there it actually, is on there that you uh, you can't have a dispensary or like a any liquor kind of, store or anywhere it's, near it's a 600 school. feet away from a school yeah i mean so because i looked it up because i thought i could it, my dream would be to turn this into a pot bakery yeah. or you know like th but you're space. right by a boys and girls yeah club, we're right so by the boys so it can never happen like, yeah. We have to respect that, of course, because anytime you're anywhere near a school or a place, a community center, no, no you wouldn't want to have a liquor store or a dispensary nearby. No, that's just bad. Well, and we have unethical. a liquor store up on the corner here, but the kids eat snacks out of it. It's There's, not just a liquor store. Right. Store. And so the, what a lot of these uh, politicians use, the, oh, the kid, you know, and it's going to be near a school zone and then we'll be introducing them to drugs. And no, actually... When I was a kid, and especially in high school, I knew where to get the drugs, and it was from my peers. <laughs> so the kids, actually, that you're probably talking about are the ones that know where to get the dope so from. So this is very funny. I'll tell you what happened <laughs> on the bus the other day. Um, there was a girl who got on the bus with her three friends, and they were all African-American, which is beside the point. But one of them was like, and they were clearly under 18, give me back my weed. Give me back my weed. Give me back my weed. You need to give me back my weed. Or no, it wasn't even give me back. It was give me my weed. Give me my weed. And I think she said like, well, you, you didn't, you didn't pay for it. Will you give me my weed the entire time on the bus? <laughs> give me my weed. I want to turn around and be like, give her her fucking weed. What do you? Yeah. <laughs> Why? She she's like, not using. I mean, at least she's using it for. Then you know. I don't it was know. the nine bus. She got on at Market and Eleventh uh, Street, and they yelled she yelled this at her friends over and over give me my weed give me my motherfucking weed give me my, give me my weed. weed give me my weed she sounded like she has add well and the other girl was like <laughs> you didn't you didn't you didn't pay me and then the other one was like not on the bus give me my weed give me my motherfucking weed and it went all the way till i got off though they got off right before me at 16th street so from market and 11th to 16th street and bryant and um actually in potrero it was like a constant diatribe. And I'm like, why does this 15-year-old girl have weed anyways? What is going on? I mean, but that to me is not unusual because I knew people when I was 15 that had weed or what have you. I mean, people need to look at the bigger picture of things. Like if you want to – these p politicians want to use kids as a pawn – Let's talk about the fact that they're all hopped up on Adderall, which is oh, even more dangerous. Shit. Yeah, it is. So, you know, if you want to talk about, like, we shouldn't expose children to these things, maybe you shouldn't expose them to pills very early on. So then... Right. Which was... We expose them to drugs, and then we say, oh, don't do drugs. But these drugs are fine. Even I even have a problem with giving kids vitamins. Because you're giving them a pill, like, every morning and saying, hey, take this pill. 
take this pill, be healthy. And it's like, how about eat green leafy vegetables, be healthy? How eat, about eat some yeah. fucking fruit, child? Yeah, yeah. How about how about not everything is beige and not everything is frozen <laughs> and goes straight into the oven? Ooh, like, God. I mean, like I would brick. be interested to know. This is so off topic for today, but I'd be interested to know how many chicken nuggets of any kind kids eat per year. Ew. How many chicken nuggets? Ew. Chicken pieces. Chicken parts. Ew. Beaks and all. Oh, God. God. Scary. Uh, this is the last one we'll listen to. This is going to be, this is a yes on 64. Uh, marijuana, the gateway to incarcerating people of color. Yes on Prop 64 from Brave New Films. Oops. Let me start it over and turn. Hold on. Boop, 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 boop. Good radio. Here we go. As long as marijuana is illegal, it will be used to criminalize people of color. Blacks, whites, and Latinos use marijuana at roughly the same rates. But in California today, blacks are four times more likely to be charged with marijuana possession than whites. Latinos, almost two times more likely. And we all know that innocuous things have been used to arrest and criminalize people of color. Marijuana is no exception. This little plant has a racialized history and has consistently been used to pack the criminal justice system with black and brown Americans. Public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. Just say no to drugs. The war on drugs had a hidden purpose. President Nixon saw the drug crackdown as a way to arrest blacks and anti-war protesters. Who goes to prison for drug use are predominantly folks of color and people who are low income. Let me see some hands. Countless lives have been ruined for the use of a substance that a majority of Americans now think should be legal. To me, it's completely silly and ridiculous that it's criminalized at the federal level. This is going on for far too long. In California, they leave it up to the police to decide who is possessing and who is selling. Which is the difference between an infraction and a felony. You know, traumatizing people is not deterring crime or stopping crime. Put it down, bro. Put it down. Down. The good news is Prop 64 can help start us on a new path. Here are some of the things Prop 64 lays out. It makes the possession and use of marijuana legal for adults. It ends the incarceration of minors for marijuana violations. It invests millions of dollars in services for communities affected by the war on drugs. Overall, marijuana arrests decreased by more than 80% in Washington, Colorado, and D.C. after marijuana was legalized. We ought to be uh, learning what we can from those states. We have to own up to the fact we spent 40 years drumming the beat of this war on drugs, and we've wasted a trillion dollars, and I think this is where you start. With one vote, we can start to put an end to this criminalization. Vote yes on Prop 64. There, All take right. that, hippies. Take that, you, you, yeah, you hippies, you greedy hippies. <laughs> I never thought that the hippies would be the greedy ones. Yeah. It's, it's funny to me. <laughs> uh, so next week, this time next week, you need to go out on the 8th. Absolutely. To vote. Uh, it's actually next Tuesday because today is a Wednesday, so you oh, will yeah, have voted you. by then. Ha, 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 if you haven't voted. And you can actually, if you're a San Francisco City resident, you can go to City Hall anytime uh, and pre-vote right now. Or you can do it this weekend. It's actually going to be open as well for uh pre-ballot. Uh, I like to vote on the day because I like I that motherfucking sticker. I like the sticker too. And it's, I mean, it's right around the corner from my house. It's very easy. It's not like I have to travel very far to vote. I have and to it's walk my excuse to be late to work. Yeah. What are you, you going to, you going to yell at me because I voted? Yeah, right. Are you going to write me up? Fuck you. I voted. I voted I today. 
voting. That sticker gets you out of a lot of trouble, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm excited to vote. Um, I urge you all to... Double check your ballot. Double check your ballots. Absolutely. Make sure that the voting machine isn't trying to screw you. And... Uh, don't vote for Donald Trump. Don't vote for Donald Trump. <gasps> at whatever you do. Unless you want me to leave. If you are an avid uh, AltaCast listener... This might you be your last program. It's going to be your fault <laughs> if I leave. Don't You don't want to make me leave, do you? No. You want to make me leave the country? Uh, that I say, I, nay, I say, one up. There we go. Uh, hey, guys, thanks so much for being here. Uh, and we'll see you next week here Bye. on the AltaCast. Happy I've election. through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for near $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. Want to go to Burning Man, but you don't have the right goggles, costume, or attitude? Visit 20 Mission Hive at 2415 Mission Street between 20th and 21st in the heart of the Mission District. Easily accessible by BART, this collective of unique artists and vendors has eclectic handmade clothing, leatherwork, artisan jewelry, antiques, crystals, and there's even an amazing florist. 
whisper pirate ship to your 20 Mission High vendor for a special 10% discount on the coolest, most original items in San Francisco. That's 20 Mission Hive with eight vendors and like them on Facebook at 20 Mission Hive. 20 Mission Hive for awesome events and updates. The dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday, 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk come together with music from around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment wherein both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform radio for free minds. and underground space for an event? Look no further than mutinyradio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsadai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event. Now, well, hey there, San Francisco. If you're looking for some delicious late night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside, you can find counter offer offering you amazing late night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit, it's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini and creamy delicious mac and cheese. You like tacos? Then get them! And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads gonna come up with next? Go to the counter offer inside of Brenda's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue. San Francisco is located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. Counter offer, son! Of that. 
Little SF brings you visual and auditory mind control. For the best graphic design, physical merchandise, and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Um, oh, happy hour. What could be happier than 23 comics doing jokes for each other and at a radio listening audience? Puppets, kittens, unicorns, porn maybe? Oh, well, stage time makes them happy, and this super happy comedy open mic is open every Friday from 6 to 8 p.m., but you can also listen anytime by downloading the podcast at Mutiny Radio FM Index at podcasts.pcrcollective.org. So come live or listen later or to every happy hour mic Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. at Radio FL Mutiny Radio. I just fucked that up again. What the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah! I got it. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Well, shoot. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes. And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays 